take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11 in the New Living Translation. Uh, you'll find your way there if you like to use your iPad, your iPhone. Just look up NLT and you'll get there. Uh, I want to talk about uh, something today. Uh, let's get real. It's a series I'm going to begin. Let's get real for the next few weeks. Uh, because I think there's a need for us to be very real and very authentic. Let's get real. And today I want to talk about God, where are you? God, where are you? Um, have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life, whether you're young or old, where, um, you, you felt that God was really far away or that you felt he was unattentive or, or he wasn't listening to you when you prayed or he wasn't aware of what you were going through. Have you ever had a time like that? Raise your hand if you have. Hold up. Look around. See, we're not alone, are we? That's what I call being real because we can say that and we kind of can say, yeah, that's kind of me. I've been there, done that. I've learned a long time ago, sometimes as believers, we, we only tell people the good stuff in our life and never tell them the bad stuff. We tell them about the prayers we're answered, but we don't ever tell them about the prayers that weren't answered. And they kind of get a warped view of who we are and how the Christian life really, really works. I think people do want to see reality. We know that by the emphasis placed in the media and the TV on reality shows. Man, there's some really crazy shows out there. But people, they watch them because they think they're real. Because there's a hunger for reality. Let's get real. I want to talk about that today and understand as we take a look at one of these great characters from the Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison... Let's stop there. John the Baptist who was in prison. John the Baptist, if you recall, was the guy who came on the scene after God had been silent for 400 years. He had not sent a prophet for 400 years to talk to his people. Okay? John the Baptist comes on the scene, got a word from God, prepare the way of the Lord, get ready, make your path straight, come when he's coming. He sees Jesus said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, I must decrease, he must increase. I mean, he was the voice crying in the wilderness. Uh, uh, he identified uh, Jesus as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He baptized Jesus, and now he is in prison. What's wrong with that picture? Well, let's understand why he's in prison. He's in prison because he told the truth. There's a guy named Herod, Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is a part of the Christmas story, the bad part of the Christmas story. Herod the Great, this, he had three sons. Herod uh, Antipas was his, uh, one of his sons, and he was probably the cruelest of the sons. Uh, he killed people in his own family if he thought they were a rival to his throne. He was very cruel and very vicious. Uh, and his brother, Herod Philip, had a wife, Herodias. And evidently, Herod Antipas and Herodias somehow got together under seduction and attraction, and, and they developed a relationship, and so she divorced Philip and married Herod Antipas, and therefore they became a new couple. And John the Baptist said that was adultery, and hence he's in prison. How you like reality so far? Yeah. He's in prison. Not only that, while he was in prison, actually Herod liked John. He would come and talk to him on occasion. Herodias hated John. 
We'll finish that in a minute. Now, he's in prison. Now, I want you to catch this. You've got to get this. This is a guy who is at a pivotal point in history. It's incredible what God has done with him. And he is like the hero of the common people. He's in prison. And the truth is, he is he's kind of wondering why he's in prison. You ever been in a bad spot and wonder where God is? Yeah. He was doing this. He was saying, okay, I, I must have missed something here. I, I, see, he knew the stories in the Bible. He knew the story of Daniel and the lion's den. He's going to win spot deliverance coming, man. I, heard, I read about Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Hey, they got out of the fire, man. Where, when am I getting out of here? So he sends word. Look at this. Heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, you've got to bear in mind, this is a guy who said he was the Messiah. He said, This is the guy. This is, the, this is God, man. This is the one we've been looking for, Messiah, the Lamb of God. He baptized him, knowing I, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. He knew, but all of a sudden he's got some doubt, got some struggle. I wonder if I'm wrong. Seems like I'd have been out of here by now if he was Messiah. I'm his right-hand guy right now. So he sends word to say, are you really the guy? Are you really the guy? Now I want you to look. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. Go back and tell him this. It's kind of interesting. Jesus didn't say go back and tell him yes. That ain't what he said. He said, I want you to go back and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And verse 6, watch this. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Or your translation may say, do not stumble because of me. That verse you need to underline. Because that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, who does not stumble or, or turn away because of me. What was he trying to tell John? He said, John, I know prison's not fun. You don't understand what's going on right now, but don't let it cause you to trip up. He wasn't talking about losing salvation. He said, I'm going to, uh, but I, he said, I'm going to hang in there because blessings come. My faith is always challenged when God seems to be ignoring my happiness, but not yours. It may not be true for you, but that's how it is for me. I kind of go, Lord, what's going on? I'm over here hurting. I'm discouraged, frustrated, and they're over there. and Man, they're having a great time, and everything's wonderful, and they're praising the Lord, and it's good. And they're on the mountaintop. I'm in the valley, and sometimes it challenges my faith. It's easy to assume when God is silent, he's absent. Although he never is. 
And then, you know what, you begin to hear those voices. When you're going through this kind of thing, you begin to hear these voices sometimes from inside your head or sometimes from people around you. Oh, you just need to pray more. Oh, you need to pray harder. You know, you, you, you need to have more faith. You need to do more. You need to give more. You need to try harder. Suppose you're in the center of God's will right now. Those things really don't apply. I got a buddy of mine I've known for over 40 years. There's not a man of more integrity than him in the ministry. He's incredible. He's a great God's used him in amazing ways in different scenarios. And he's going through a challenge. He was going through a challenging time, real challenging time. And he was calling different buddies. He has a circle of friends that is huge. Uh, and most, almost all of them, I should say all of them, are far more intelligent than me and smarter than me and know more than me, okay? Uh, so I don't know why he calls me. But he calls me and he says, I got to talk to you, man. Here's what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Tell me I'm, I'm struggling in my faith and, in the sense of I'm wondering where, what's, gonna, what's God trying to do, what's going on. And, and we just talked. And I would share very honestly and openly. And here's what he said to me. He said, thank you, brother. Of all the guys I've talked to, you're the first one that's talked to me in reality. Everybody else has told me, man, you just need to pray more. I need to have more faith. You trust God. Well, I'm trusting God. He said, I'm trusting God every day that I get up. Man, I start trusting God. I live trusting God. I go to bed trusting God. You see, here's the deal. We need to understand truth that was going on in John the Baptist's life that goes on in my life and your life. And how does that really work? And I think it's time we'd be real honest because, the, unfortunately, sometimes we don't mean to, but we kind of give people a one-sided view of Christianity like it's all great. And if you do all the right stuff, you never have a problem, and God's just going to take care of you and love you. Well, God is going to take care of you, but may not, maybe not in the way you expected or anticipated. So here's what I want to go. Let's get real about this. The first thing I want you to get is this. A negative change in Personal circumstance can cause a crisis of faith. Do you get that? Negative change. Something bad happens in your personal world. Your circumstances go south. They don't, all of a sudden things fall apart. Things don't go well. Something happens in your family. Something happens in your finance. Something happens in your church. Something happens in your business world. Something happens to your health. All these things. Something goes wrong. And we can, it can cause a crisis of faith. Now, we don't like to admit that because we don't want people to think there's something wrong with us. So we kind of go through the motions and everything is great. Everything is wonderful. But we're going, Lord, where, where are you? I'm not going to say this out loud, but where are you? I may, I may not say it vocally, but I'm thinking it. Where are you? John the Baptist was saying, God, where are you? Man, I've read that story about Daniel Lyons then. Where are you? Are you really the guy? Was I wrong? Did I miss something? We all kind of go through that if we're not careful. A crisis of faith. Now, let me tell you what happens if this takes place. God is often viewed differently when seasons of pain, trouble, and turmoil surface in our life. All of a sudden, we look at God differently. Sometimes we see God that he doesn't love me as much as he used to. Or sometimes we may uh, see God as just punishing us. For something we did years ago. Or sometimes we see God as far away. Or maybe he doesn't even really care anymore. Those thoughts cross our minds. Sometimes they take root in our heart. And, and we kind of wrestle with God. Where are you? I've prayed about this. I, I believe you can do this. I, I, where are you, God? 
John the Baptist in prison was saying, man, I'm supposed to be out there preaching to the masses. I've got a congregation, man. I've got disciples that are willing to follow you and be a part of kingdom people. And I'm in prison. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. Why don't you get me out? And then the, and then the only guy gets to talk to is Herod. Did I miss something, John would say? Maybe we do that. Did I miss something? Lord, have I, have I missed your will? Have I, have I made a wrong turn? Suppose the answer's no to all that. Suppose you're right where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're paying the price for telling the truth. It's not fun. Maybe it's cost you that you've told the truth. And so here you are. I've got to tell you something that's pretty neat. When you're going through this, the thing I don't want you to know is that God doesn't mind questions. How do you know that? Because here's what I see. John sends his disciples to ask the question, are you the real deal? Or they look for someone else. And when they came, Jesus did not say, I can't believe John's asking that question. He didn't say that. He didn't say, how dare this man ask me this question? Who does, what is wrong with John that he would ask me this question? He didn't say any of that. <laughs> he said, let me answer it. He wasn't offended by the question. He wasn't insulted by the question. May I say to you that God is big enough to handle your questions? When you say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. That doesn't offend him. God, I, I, I feel like I'm struggling so much I don't understand why. That doesn't offend him. God, why haven't you answered this prayer? That doesn't offend him. God, I thought you'd come through this way, and I don't understand what you're doing. Can you tell me, or, or what can, I, can you give me a word? That, that doesn't offend him. Look what he says when the guys came. He said, go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. I know he needs a word. He needs encouragement. He needs affirmation. I get that. Go back and tell him what's happening in the ministry. Let him know. He didn't seem to say, yes, I'm the guy. He said, no, tell him what's going on. That's important. He could have said, yes, I'm the guy. But he said, no, no, tell him what's going on. Tell him the activity of my life. And that'll speak for itself. He doesn't mind questions. He really doesn't. The second thing I want you to get is this. How do you know? Here's the second thing I want you to get. Negative personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Sometimes when things aren't going well, we think, man, I think God's mad at me. 
I must have done something. Can I help you out here? If you've done something wrong, God's going to let you know it. You ain't got to sit there and think, man, I've, got, I've done something wrong because look what's happened in my life. It's falling apart. Things aren't going well. I must have done something. Mm-hmm. No. If you've done something, he lets you know. If you're a follower, you ain't got to worry about that. He, he lets you know. So, so here's the thing. He, he goes, okay. But our feelings, sometimes God doesn't love me like he used to. Maybe I'm no longer his favorite. You know? We tend to look at things. That we, we, can I tell you the proof of how God feels about you and me was declared at the cross where Jesus died sacrificially and horrifically. That's where he proved how he felt about us. That never changes. He was willing to let Jesus die for you and for me because he thought, that much of us. He valued us that much. He loved us that much. He desired to spend forever with us that much, and that's never changing, ever. Whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, whether you feel like it or not, your feelings do not, do not change his feelings about you, okay? Your faithfulness does not change his feelings about you. He's proved at the cross. That's a done deal. John was in trouble not due to his failure, but as a result of his faithfulness. And that's where it gets kind of real. We tend to think when we're faithful, everything should go right. Don't we? Yeah, being faithful, God, bring on the blessings. Bring on, no. What happens when you're faithful and things aren't going well? See, we're going to think, oh, God doesn't love me or something's wrong or I've done something. And maybe that's true. I know he loves you. If you've done something wrong, he lets you know. So what's the deal? Remember going back, Jesus said, tell John this. Tell him what I'm doing, but also tell him this. Blessed is the person who doesn't stumble because of me or turn away because of me. Remind him of that. Remind him of that. And, And so... God's feelings doesn't change because something doesn't go right. I finished, I watched the, uh, one of the playoff games last night, uh, the, the Patriots and the Colts. And, and um, yeah, it, you know, it's an interesting game. And, and uh, I probably was neutral in who won. But uh, the thing I enjoyed the most was the end of the game. You're saying, why is that? Uh, well, because the Patriots won. It's because after it was over and everybody had, finished up, and, and, and they talked to Brady on, on the microphone and talked to some other guys. The camera switched to the middle of the football field, and there in the middle was a small group of guys with different colored jerseys on praying together. Colts and Patriots coming together and praying to God because they understood God did not love the Colts less because they lost. I, and I guys, I got to say, I never understood this. You know, when somebody wins, and, they, and, I, and I've heard it, you know, almost every year, the Super Bowl champion, somebody's going to say, man, it's because God was on our side. I, I, I don't know that's true or not. Because I think the guys who love Jesus on the other side that lost thought he was pretty much on their side. Okay? Man, we love Jesus. Hey, what is the deal, you know? We tend to think if I love Jesus, I should win every game. What about the guy who loved Jesus and has a losing season? 
Suppose he's faithful. He shares his testimony. Man, I, I, I see what's, what's happened to Tim Tebow. And that's, I, kinda, I hate that because he's been faithful, man, but he's kind of been pushed aside. And NFL don't want him. He's now it's kind of a sad thing. I, I was encouraged by that because no longer the game did determine the value of the people. Your circumstance does not determine your value. That was done at the cross. When God is silent, what do you do? When you're like John the Baptist and your world is not going as you thought it would and things haven't played out as you would hope they would, what do you do? When God is silent, what do you do? Number one, number one, you look back and remember his presence. I love the songs we sang today. They're awesome. You look back, you're never alone. You've never been alone. May have felt it, but the truth is, you look back, you see God's hand, you see God's heart, you, you see things working in your life. You look back, maybe today's painful. Maybe today you do feel alone, but somehow you look back and you see where He's been in your life. And because He's been somewhere in your past, I promise you He's in your present. Now, if you look back and He's never been in your past, you need to. Have an experience of grace that saves your life, okay? But if you look back and he's been in your past, he's in your present because he don't go anywhere, all right? So you look back and you see where he's been. You go, thank you, Lord. I know you've been there. Therefore, because you've been there, you are here, and I will, I will trust that. The second thing is you look outside your circumstances and reflect on his activity, you do that. You look, back, you look outside your world. You see, when things aren't going well, we get caught up in looking at our world. Our world seems to dominate our thinking and our feelings and our emotions. But he says, I want you to look outside your world. In John, all of a sudden, he was looking from his prison. He's saying, I'm in prison. Are you real? Are you the guy? I'm in prison. I thought things would be different. Well, that's not the end of the story, is it? When I'm having tough times... And I've struggled. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't understand. I thought it would be different. I thought this would work differently. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I start looking at what God's doing around the world. I look, in, I look around here and I go, man, the state convention is not doing as well as I thought it would be. And, and Southern Baptists aren't doing as well as I thought they'd be. And, and boy, churches are struggling in America. And things are hard and things are tough. And boy, it's just not what I thought it would be. And the Lord reminds me, look outside your little world for a minute. Look at what I'm doing in Cuba. Man, Christianity's on fire in Cuba. Look what I'm doing in South Korea. Man, they have Friday night prayer meetings that stop traffic. Look what I'm doing in Brazil, and look what I'm doing in China. Look what I'm doing in Russia. Look what I'm doing. Look outside your world for a minute. Say, God, I see you're still doing great things. And that's incredible. It is time we really become pretty real about our life and about God. And we share these things with people. Well, you think, if I read this to you, it kind of looks like it has a good ending. But if you go to Mark 6, it doesn't have a good ending. It has a tragic ending. Because Herod Antipas, the king, had a birthday, and, and uh, his uh, 
the, the daughter of Herodias came and danced for them, and, and evidently she was quite impressive, so much so that the king said, you've been so incredible, I will give you up to half my kingdom, what do you want? And she said, let me go ask my mom, which tells you she was rather an odd teenager, because teenagers don't do that. Um, let me go ask mom what she thinks I should ask for. Uh, but she went and she asked her mom and her mom said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter now. Wow. Mm. That's not the ending he was looking for. Herod was sad, but he made his commitment. He could have said, I value John the Baptist more than half my kingdom. He's off the table, but he didn't say that. He simply gave in and they took the head of John the Baptist and delivered it to Herodias. The truth is, that's not the ending we look for, is it, in our life? Really? That even bothers us a little bit. God should have done something. God did do something. He never left him. When Jesus sent back word, he said, tell John this. Jesus knew what was in his future. He said, tell John this. Tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You know what he was saying? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. God is still on the throne. Remain faithful. God is still in control. Circumstances may not be favorable. You may not get the end you've hoped for, wished for, believed in, but God is faithful. And he asks us to remain faithful. Don't turn away because it's hard. Don't turn away because it's different than what you thought. Don't turn away because someone hurt your feelings. Don't turn away because things happened that were out of your control. Don't turn away from him. Don't withdraw and become uh, inactive or complacent or apathetic. Remain faithful. It was Job who said it best, though he slay me, I will trust him because he is God. A tragic event occurred several years ago. Many of you will remember the, there was a terrorist bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut. Hundreds of Americans were killed. Many, many were wounded as they slept. It was a tragic event. If you remember the newsreels, they're trying to go in and bring uh, soldiers out of the debris and, and personnel out of the debris, and it was tragic. A great story came out, a very extraordinary story came out of that. A Marine Corps uh, uh, commander, Paul Kelly, was visiting some of the wounded survivors in the hospital in Germany, uh, in, in Frankfurt, and he was, he was trying to comfort and, and, con- and just encourage um, one of the survivors there was a, Je- a Corporal Jeffrey Lee Nashton. He was severely wounded. If you looked at him laying on the bed, he had more tubes and wires than you could imagine. He looked more like a machine than a person. As the commander came close to him to basically just to encourage him. He began to really struggle and there was basically he was he was trying, trying to get just a piece of paper over there beside and, and uh, got a pen and he wrote two words and gave the note to this Marine commander. 
Now, if you've been a Marine, you know what those two words were. Simplify. Two words. And they mean forever faithful. That's Latin. Jesus was saying to John, God blesses those who are forever faithful. No matter the outcome. God took John the Baptist to heaven. He was delivered from his prison, from the grief and the pain of this world, and he's forever with the Lord. I blessed him. Understand, this is real. This is truth. People need to know this. This is a part of the truth we share. Not always pleasant, but it is truth, and it is real. We are told to remain faithful and God will bless us.